Welcome to Inspire Campfire, a podcast where ordinary people tell their stories of extraordinary adventure. These are campfire stories meant to inspire the rest of us to light the fire within, get outside, follow our dreams, and return to tell our own stories. Ready? Let's strike the match. Welcome to the show. I am your host, Scott Wurzbacher, and today we're going to finish up a series of episodes recapping the experience of the first Inspire Campfire Grand Canyon Mastermind Group. As part of our retreat to the canyon and after we completed our backpacking adventure, we were graced with an amazing opportunity to meet with some individuals from the Hopi tribe, a sovereign nation located in northeastern Arizona. We had an absolutely magical time with them learning about Hopi culture and witnessing firsthand the wonder and beauty of their tradition. I have with me Drew Loma Yaktua of the Hopi. Drew is a song composer and leader of the Hopi Blue Cloud Dance Crew, and he's here to share a little bit of what the Grand Canyon Mastermind got to experience during our visit. Drew? Welcome to the campfire. Oi, Lamatalonga, was in the Halle Timaya, the Tamay, the Nemum Levite, the Katai Mayan Matsua, the Drew Lomai to a young Pahan Matsua, the Pipunga, the Hot Velasino. Good morning, ladies, gentlemen, um, kids of all ages. Um, I come to you greeting, greeting you with open hands and open ears. I want to welcome you guys here to our show. My native name here is Gyatayma's uh, name to the sun, early rising sun. My English name is Drulamayaktua. I am born for the tobacco clan and I am from the village of Third Mesa, Hotfella, to be specific. I want to go ahead and um, uh, give a special shout out here to Scott for having me here on his show. Um, very excited to educate you guys a little bit on Hopi. Let's get things rolling. Oh, <laughs> thank you so much. Um, Drew, just for some context for the listeners, just to sort of paint the picture, um, the, the five of us that went down into the canyon, we had this amazing experience there in the canyon and got to absorb all of the land of Northeastern Arizona and, and, and the area where the Hopi live. And um, when we came out, we went to this amazing resort called Under Canvas. It's a glamping style resort and uh, safari tents and, you know, no Wi-Fi. We're still camping, but it was, it was just a, a beautiful experience and um, uh, much more luxury than we had when we were inside the canyon. But uh, one of the nights we had a campfire and you and a group of people came to join us and to to show us a traditional dance and to talk with us about the culture. And it was just such an impactful uh, experience for all of us to be able to learn uh, about the Hopi culture and, and your connection with the land. I wonder if we could just start, could you just tell us a little bit about you personally and, and, um, and your connection to the Hopi? Already, uh, like I mentioned earlier, I am born for that tobacco clan. Um, we have various um, jobs and duties that we have to fulfill as being a member of a specific big clan. Uh, there are various clans that we do come from. Um, I do, like Scott had mentioned, I do compose a lot of songs, um, traditional songs, Hopi songs, some songs that I've listened to. Uh, being being a youngster, um, learning learning the ways of Hopi. It ain't easy, I can tell you that much. Um, there's a lot to being a Hopi man, you know. Um, uh, living with the land is um, actually quite uh, interesting. Uh, it teaches you a lot of self-discipline. I mean, teaches you teaches you that you're not the only one living. Uh, you're not the only one that has a heart. Um, mm. Being a Hopi, we are considered peaceful people. Hopi is is a hard way of life. Like I mentioned, being a part of Hopi, you have to you have to learn 
learn the ways of the land. Uh, most likely, or more than likely, got to learn how to respect it. We do various ceremonies before we do um, any building of any sort. Uh, we do a ceremony before we uh, make uh, our own uh, plant um, planting fields. Um, we had um, around the campfire, I had mentioned to Scott and his group of uh, friends there that we are dry farmers. Uh, we dry farm, um, meaning we have fields and we we solely uh, rely on our prayers and we rely on our prayers, we rely on our hearts to have the rain come. Um, as Scott had mentioned, I am, I am the leader of the Blue Cloud Dance Group. Um, I am also the song composer of the Blue Cloud Dance Group. Uh, in Hopi, I call it Hopi Sakwa Omao Dance Group means the Hopi blue cloud. Just a little um, information on the Hopi blue cloud dance group. It does consist of um, various teenagers, um, various teenagers that I've uh, got together and trying to teach them the ways of being a Hopi. Um, there is a lot to uh, these teachings as uh, we were taught from generation to generation to keep our culture alive. We also um, have various initiations that um, we all go through throughout our life. And it's also teaching us the morals and uh, cultural duties that we have to fulfill within our lifetimes. I wanted to also mention about uh, the land. Um, if you go ahead and dig a little further into your pockets, you will hit the search button and you all you will find that um, various native pueblos, as you would, as you probably know them as the Anasazis, um, migrated through a lot, a lot of the land. Um, now there are a lot, lot of archaeological <laughs> studies that are going on throughout the uh, United States on uh, various uh, pueblos that were migrating throughout um, the United States, mm -hmm. and that also being a part of the. Um, a land, a land mass that a lot of the native tribes did occupy before the English had came arrived. A lot of the land, a lot of the land has um, many shrines. As being a Hopi, um, we're really closely tied with a lot of the Pueblo groups um, out in New Mexico. We do share various um, ceremonies, um, ceremonies that were brought from various villages that are now ruins. Uh, we still hold a lot of those ceremonies today. That's great. Thank you for sharing that. So the, the Blue Cloud Dance Crew, uh, you had some members of that group come to Under Canvas. And while you guys were there, you performed a ceremonial dance for us. And I wonder if you could just talk through a little bit about, for listeners, just to give some context on on that dance that you, uh, that you uh, brought to us and some of the significance behind it. Okay. I, um, I had specifically, um, organized this performance. It is all, it is called, uh, the Hopi Water Maiden Dance. Um, it's called Balhigmana. Balhigmana is, um, it consists of, um, about maybe four young, strong girls, mature girls, um, as they are pure at life, we, as I had mentioned earlier, we solely rely on our prayers for to water our dry farm, our melons, uh, beans. Uh, we have uh, various uh, orchards out here, like such mm -hmm. as peaches, and peaches are not native to um, America. I had specifically brought a young girl to dance uh, to showcase um, what it is like to what it is like to be a young Hopi woman. The Balikmana, she is a very beautiful, a very beautiful being. Uh, we like to depict them as butterflies. Hmm. Um, and their regalia, um, they, she wears a headdress. Mm -hmm. Wears a headdress that um, consists of various colors. Um, 
I had uh, mentioned to Scott and his little group of uh, people there that we do have colors of corn that are um, are specifically for a certain direction. As for um, the north, we call Guininga. It is uh, the direction of the yellow corn. And we got the blue corn, it goes to the direction of west. That is Sakwa. Sakwapu is uh, blue. And we got to the south, it's called Tatkya. Tatkya, it's um, the red corn. And we got to the east, we got the white corn. And uh, these various colors are depicted on the headdress and uh, the regalia that the girl does wear. And that is also um, depicting the, the cloud kingdom as you were to look out. Out on into the horizon, you will see clouds and you will see them stacking on top of each other. That is exactly what that, that um, headdress uh, depicts. Yeah, and it was a beautiful headdress. It was extremely ornate and elaborate. Right. That um, headdress was actually um, a duplicate of my grandfather's. Uh, mm-hmm. My grandfather's uh, headdress he had made, uh, they're still usable. I just <laughs> kind of keep them for myself and, you know, put them away to safekeeping <laughs> yeah. to have, um, you know, my little boy maybe will be doing some dance groups here in a few in a few years. <laughs> the Balik Manashi consists yeah, of a young young girl, a pure girl. She's a pure young girl. She uh she has not yet grinded corn to uh, be initiated into her young woman stage. Okay. Um being a young girl, a pure girl, you um you grind they grind corn to prove themselves to make them worthy of uh knowing the traditional traditional foods of the Hopi. Mm-hmm. Um, as Hopi, it is um, solely the woman's responsibility to keep the household intact. Um, as a man, we do not, as a Hopi man, us Hopi men, we don't, we don't own a house. Um, a house that a man gets, he gets it for his wife and his child. Um, we do not own land, um, as we believe, um, no one is a sole land owner of this land. This land was given to us by a, a higher, a higher deity. Yeah. And the, the bickering amongst each other for land should be no more. <laughs> um, that, that's our belief. But, uh, the young girl, she... She is molded into a young woman by uh, grinding corn for four days. She makes um, a Hopi pudding we call pikami. It is okay. made out of uh, ground, fine ground sweet corn. Um, it's a, a very sweet corn. It's uh, similar to the one you can buy in a grocery store, but it is, <laughs> it is grown um, with no, it is grown naturally, I guess you could say. Okay, yeah. She grinds this corn and various clan members from the father's side will bring corn for the, the girl to grind to prove to their family that she's worthy of being a young, a young Hopi woman. So she goes through the ceremony and uh, she, uh, she makes her pikami, her pudding. She makes piki. She learns how to use a hot stove, bare hands. It's, um, piki is a paper, a paper roll braid. As a lot of um, other Native Americans, they call it paper bread. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it is uh, made out of blue corn, blue corn and a rabbit brush. Um, it is a weed that is uh, burned into ashes and it uh, gives the blue corn a, a actual color and texture that uh, they make for a snack for the men that go down to their fields or now we go in trucks, but we used to walk. <laughs> yeah, and uh, you actually brought some for us to try. That was that was really amazing. Right, right. And um, they make that the young girls and um, the women they make that for the men uh, as they go down tend to their fields and um, 
you know, try to bring in the, the crop for their family. This, uh, the young girl, she, she also learns, you know, the duties of cleaning a house. After the ceremony is completed, she is um, dressed up and she's taken home. Dressed up in traditional clothing, turquoise um, is native to a lot of um, the southwestern tribes of the United States. She's taken home and there she is um, given back to the mother so that the mother, you know, helps support her. But it's more or less the girl's duty to pick up on what has what she has went through. Mm. It is a hard, it's hard seeing these girls as they're put in a corner of a house, a dark room, a black, pitch black room, meaning it's uh, also depicting a womb, a woman's womb. As she grinds corn in there in the dark, she also collects her mind. She collects, uh, I guess, collects her, her thoughts and puts it all into one. And she comes out of her womb to be reborn as a strong young woman. These girls that go through the ceremony, um, they're also they're also showcased at one of the last ceremonies to the Kachina spirits. Uh, we'll get into that here soon. <laughs> she is um, introduced as um, a young woman in the plaza to everyone, meaning she's uh, a pure young woman and she's ready to start making a life of her own and that she's worthy of, worthy of um, taking care of a Hopi man. The reason behind picking young, strong women to do this dance is that we, uh, we pray, we pray with their their energy, their pure energy that you know, um, they don't hurt, they don't hurt no one. They're strongly, strongly, strongly pure to the the land and the clouds and the sun. As far as finding a girl, girls to dance is um, extremely difficult. <laughs> hey friend, just wanted to take a minute to check in with you. Is this mastermind group experience something that sounds intriguing to you? Does it sound like something you'd like to do? If you're listening to this episode and want to experience the transformation for yourself, I want to personally invite you to an upcoming mastermind. There's something amazing about nature that creates the ideal space for connecting with ourselves and others at the deepest levels. If you're ready to say yes to adventure, please send me a message. You can find me at inspirecampfire.com or on our social media channels, and I would love to hear from you. Thanks for listening. Well, I love I really love the the way that you've described all this. I mean, it's such a it's such a beautiful ceremony, and it's actually like on this podcast, we talk about this concept of um, what we call the hero's journey. And it's this um, this whole sort of metaphor where like we get this call to adventure and we sometimes we experience fear and doubt from uh, getting us to, to step across the threshold and to go on this adventure and go through this whole experience. But what you just described is a young woman's transformation it is that sort of hero's journey where you know this this discussion about where she's grinding corn in in the dark ceremoniously and she and i loved how you talked about she um resolves things in her mind and comes out this strong woman it's such a cool it's i mean it, there's obviously a lot of tradition and um you know ceremony that goes into that um but it's but it's it's very it's relatable i can understand that it's it's very very cool right and um, also, um, I'm telling from a man's perspective, um, yeah. you know, if you were to ask a Hopi woman, she would probably tell you something way, way something more uh, detailed. Uh, but uh, again, that that belongs to the woman. Yeah. So all we do is uh, make the house and make sure there's water there for the water and food for the family too. And um, also, I wanted to mention during these days that she's um, grinding corn, she also does a fasting ceremony. Okay. Um, fasting ceremony consists of uh, no fatty foods, no salt, eating eating what Hopis eat. <laughs> we didn't have no fat foods back in the days. Yeah. <laughs> it was just lean, lean deer meat. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. So if we can come back to the, um, the dance. So we've talked a little bit about the headdress. Can you talk about the rest of her? Yeah. Okay. Um, I wish I, I brought um, the Hopi kilt to explain um, specifically what is on her regalia. Um, the Balikmana, she wears a kilt. It is, in Hopi, it is, um, we call it a pitkuna. It is a, a tightly woven kilt, um, similar to a rug. The kilt in the pitkuna um, depicts depicts the land. As Hopi, we're, we are believed, as we believe in our prophecy, we emerge from the third world here to the fourth world. And that kilt specifically depicts the Grand Canyon, the red walls, as the Hisatsinum, we call them Hisatsinum, the ancient ones, as maybe you're, you know them better by Anasazi. There were various people that were roaming the land as to our emergence. There are different um, colors of people. Mm -hmm. There are different colors of corn. Um, every corn that we believe is the color of the people's skin that live here on the land uh, amongst, amongst the rest of us. Going down to the canyon, you will see the walls and the the high towering cliffs. It is uh, depicted on the um, kilt. The kilt also depicts the green nourishment of the land and the water that um, in the aquifers below the land that that I feel you know the water aquifers. Uh, down below the land, I believe that there are deities that also guard the aquifers below. Mm -hmm. On the Hopi kill, we also got a um, depiction of clouds, um, rolling clouds. Um, also depicts the underworld where we believe we emerged from. Down in the canyon, we have a, a traditional spot we call the Sipapu. It's um, where we believe we emerged in here into the fourth world. That's a very long story. Um, as our prophecy, we believe um, a lot of things are coming true. <laughs> I, want, I wondered, you mentioned before about um, the third world and the fourth world. Could you, could, could you talk about that just for a minute, just for listeners? Okay. As Hopi, we believe there were four worlds um, here before our, our time of being. Uh, the first world, I believe, ended with um, fire. The second world, I believe, ended with wind. The third world ended by water. And the fourth world, I um, not have yet learned what the fourth world is, is actually coming to. But in the prophecy, we also believe that a lot of the prophecy um, has been really foretold um, as to the older elders talk about roads in the sky mm. and that's meaning airplanes and they also talk about spider webs in the sky that's our power lines um, they also talked about the black snake pipelines and um, roads freeways hmm. and they also talk about spikes uh meaning fence lines hmm. coming here to the third and fourth world we were we were down in the fourth world where it was uh, we believed was corrupt where you know the men didn't respect the woman the we weren't respecting our cultural ways or the ways that we were um told to live so this group of people they had heard somebody walking above so they had wanted to see who was walking above so they tried sending sending various birds 
birds up to the sky to see if he can find this person who was walking above the clouds. And all they could hear was thumps. And they send a yellow bird. They send a cardinal. They send a blue jay. They send a sparrow hawk. They send a red tail hawk. The only bird to reach the top was an eagle. And with the eagle, the eagle had went to greet this, this um, being that was walking above. So he had went to, went to this being and asked him who he was. And this is our deity that we also pray to. We believe that is uh, caretaker, was caretaker of the land before we got here. His name is Masawa. He is um, a scary looking man. Um, he is a, a fire god. He is um, a man that can transform into pretty much anything, any animal. He is not a skinwalker, <laughs> but uh, he is, um, he was the caretaker of the fourth world. And when we had, the eagle had came to ask this man who he was and why he was up here making noise, the man told him that, that this is my, my world. And the eagle had also told them, we want to come live, we want to come live with you. We want to come live your way of life because our life is no good down there, he told them. So the man, they had also had a, a longer conversation. Um, the Masa had told the bird, the eagle, that uh, he can go ahead and bring his people. And so therefore the Masa gave the eagle a, a bamboo reed seed told him to plant it. And when that plant gets big, it'll grow up up, up to the sky and you can, you can come live. He's a, when you climb up to the top, I'll, I'll find you and I will, <clears throat> I will show you my way of life. So this eagle, he had took the seed back down to the third world and he had planted it and the people that wanted to leave, they had took care of this bamboo plant and it had grew um, similar to um, Jack and the Beanstalk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This reed had grew tall to the sky and it had gave these people um, a way out <clears throat> of um, that way of that corrupt way of life. Um, these people, um, there were various people that agreed to make their way up as they climbed. There were various clans that um, came up to the fourth world. And as they all arrived to the fourth world, there was a man sitting in the dark, in the dark with the fire. That man, Masawa, he came to them with corn, came to him with the purple corn, came to them with the blue corn, came to him with the white corn, a yellow corn, and a brown corn red corn as well he had he had given these corn to the ground and he had placed them there on the ground and he had told each in each each person the leader of a clan to pick a corn therefore every leader of that each clan had picked one and the corn was also depicting the ways of life that the way he wanted them to live. So some people some people had got full ears of corn, meaning they were gonna have a luscious life, abundance of life, and um, they were they were supposed to have abundance of light, but they were gonna fall short in the end. As far as the Hopi, what we believe, we had picked the the smallest ear of corn because nobody wanted the smallest ear of corn and everybody wanted the long corn. Um, the Hopi had picked the blue corn and Masawu had told the leader of a clan, the Hopi that picked the small corn, the last corn that was left, he had told us 
that we were going to have a hard way of life. The life that we're going to live is going to be hard. And we're going to have to work for everything that we that we we want. And we were going to be the last people to fulfill the fourth world. And by me saying this, um, it is very important that we hold on to our traditional ways of life. Mm-hmm. Um, it was also mentioned in the becoming to the fourth world is that we were going to be caretakers of the land by meaning um, not mine, no mining, um, no drilling for oil, no um, refineries or, you know, um, selling our land. We were specifically <clears throat> instructed to plant, plant corn as that corn we, we were given that we have chosen, we were also given a planting stick. It is uh, made out of a greasewood plant, a greasewood bush. Um, that is called a soya. Um, we were given blue corn and a soya to plant with the land. And therefore, um, it comes my favorite saying, I go by live with the land and not on the land. Mm, yes meaning harvesting, harvesting with the land, uh, various um, fruits as in uh, wild potatoes, wild spinach. There, uh, we have various plants that we, <clears throat> we um, harvest throughout the year and we use them for various um, ceremonies. We use them for antibiotics. We use them for pretty much a daily use, you know. Um, a lot of these, um, a lot of these plants that uh, grow on our land, we have uses for. Yeah, I, I, I love that. That was the, one of the most impactful things that you said when we were there with you in the Grand Canyon um, was this idea that Hopi live with the land, not on the land. And so I, I want to come back to that. Um, just I want to if we could just finish up with the dance. Um, yeah. you, you told us about the regalia, um, the dance that she did. Um, you, there was a, a chant and some drums that were uh, being played as part of this. And can you just kind of talk through um, sort of the, the meaning behind the dance and the, and the intention behind the dance? Okay. The, um, the meaning behind the dance was to um, also um, call the clouds from uh, various directions um, and also give Scott and his group here um, a really detailed insight on uh, a lot of the regalia that was worn mm-hmm. and danced with. They're also um, very well taken care of. They are washed with um, a traditional plant we call moho. It's uh, Native American or native to uh, the Southwest. It goes by yucca. Mm-hmm. Uh, we use the root of it to uh, the girls wash their clothes with it and um, also wanted to give Scott um, actually uh, a really good Hopi experience <laughs> as to there is a lot of preparation to this dance. Um, it is one um, one hard, um, I guess it's not too difficult to um, get the things ready as far as feathers. Um, mm-hmm. Feathers, as Native Americans, we are the only proud owners to hold uh, eagle feathers, mm. meaning um, we're the only ones who can possess eagle feathers or have them in our possession. Um, as far as uh, the golden eagle, the bald eagle, uh, red-tailed hawks, uh, gray hawks. Being, uh, being a Hopi, uh, we also pray for uh, lots of uh, life. Um, being a Hopi, we also use a lot of eagle feathers to send our prayers to various deities and shrines amongst the land. Also, during the dance, she was wearing um, various eagle feathers, parts of the mm-hmm. eagle that... Uh, that were on a part of the headdress as she was dancing with two feathered, four feathers in her hands. Um, they were a part of the eagle tail. 
it is also depicting the clouds, also depicting the clouds that um, we wanted to come join us as we want it to be happy um, and make uh, Scott and his group of friends there a little com more comfortable with uh, having something introduced uh, new to them. <laughs> Yeah. And that you did. It was, it was really, truly a magical experience. I, and I have to ask you, so after the the dance, the days following, did you guys get rain in the area? Oh yeah, we did actually. Um, did you? Yeah, we did. Because, yeah. you know, um, I, I was talking to my family, I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina. I was talking to my family and um, the weatherman had predicted sun that whole week. And the next day it started raining. That's when I went home and I got home and it rained for like four days straight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was, it was really special. It was a really, really special experience. Um, I, I would love to come back to this idea that Hopi live with the land and not on the land. And I just wonder if you could talk with us a little bit about that and, and also how sort of like, you know, the rest of the sort of materialistic world that we live in and, you know, how we're kind of enmeshed in this, in this world of really living on the land. And I, I wonder like what, what kind of wisdom you might impart on the, the rest of our, of our nation here, um, what we can learn from Hopi culture. Well, first off, I guess you can't affect the land if you can't respect yourself. <laughs> There's a lot to, I mean, living with the land. Um, it consists of getting up with the sun. It also consists of praying. Also consists of going out and um, seeking your own uh, mental cleansing as far as going out and sitting on the rocks and clearing your mind, um, singing to the land. As I always tell people amongst, you know, come around me, I, I try to, you know, educate educate everyone on the land that has many uses when it comes to you know living with the land i guess it more falls back to respect not many people you know respect it as to where how we were foretold you know i'm pretty sure somewhere in the bible it does talk about um land i mean i've read a bible but i cannot remember what I read there was just so much in there and it was so interesting that a lot of the ties go back to um, it does fall back on a lot of like teachings and um, mm -hmm. teachings that I was um, taught and um, you know the history of the uh, man becoming to the land there are also various things that are labeled in the bible that uh, falls back on Hopi as well living with the land like I said we harvest, harvest various plants from the land, taking care of the land, you know, putting your input into different um, individuals' minds about uh, the land as far as um, land being owned, land uh, for rent, <laughs> mm -hmm. the land being cut up into small sections and being sold as, you know, the land is free. Uh, we, we were given the land to, you know, live with, but um, we're also destroying the land. <laughs> Out in, I guess, every city you go through, there's trash, you know? And yes. um, I mean, there's people out there that, I mean, are environmental friendly. They say um, they go out and have their highway cleanups, but uh, those are the people that are also, you know, are caretakers as well. Yes. We try to, um, I guess, more or less want to see more vegetation. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, more vegetation as to a lot of um, indigenous um, plants to the area where, you know, um, had vanished due to um, construction, constructions around um, the native lands that they were um, growing in. Yeah, it, it, it's really helpful. Um, and, you know, what was kind of um, synchronicitous for us was that Earth Day, 
was April 22nd. And that was the first day that my group went into the Grand Canyon, um, which was really cool. It was really kind of special to be inside the canyon on Earth Day. And so a lot of what you're talking about really, really resonates. And, and so this conversation is actually kind of bringing me back to that. Um, but I had a, a conversation with uh, Karen Ald. She's an environmentalist and she was on this podcast um, the week that we were in the canyon during Earth Day. Um, so we did an Earth Day uh, episode. But one of the things that we talked about was this idea that you said you can't respect your you can't respect the land if you don't respect yourself. I love that. It was an amazing quote. And it's true. I mean, if we want to be caretakers of the land, we have to also take care of ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. There, there was some real, real wisdom. Um, I love these points, getting up with the sun, praying, seeking mental cleansing and singing to the land. I, mm -hmm. I mean, it's beautiful. It's really, really beautiful. And I'm, I'm super excited that those are, those are some of my takeaways. Um, one thing I think is so cool about, um, Hopi culture. I want to read a quote from the official website for the Hopi tribe um, because it speaks to a lot of what you're talking about. Um, from the website, it says, since time immemorial, the Hopi people have lived in Hopi Titsqua and have maintained our sacred covenant with Masao, our ancient caretaker of the earth, to live as peaceful and humble farmers, respectful of the land and its resources. Over the centuries, we have survived as a tribe and to this day have managed to retain our culture, language, and religion despite influences from the outside world. And I, I just, I, I love that quote. Um, I think you are, you are living that and you're educating us on, on exactly what that says here. And one of the things I, I want to kind of finish with is... If you can just talk a little bit about how this tradition is passed on from generation to generation, because that's something that we talked about when we were together. If you can <laughs> kind of talk about how, how you guys are doing that and how you're passing this tradition on to future generations. Right. Okay. This might be a long one. <laughs> okay. Um, from generation to generation, you know, it also starts in the household um, as far as being educated on um simple things as to how how hopi is to be lived like i had mentioned earlier that each individual of the hopi uh, whether he is a man or woman we are uh, initiated into very initiated into various ceremonies uh, one of the ceremonies that i myself have went through um, is being initiated into the kachina society kachinas are our higher deities are our gods um they do depict various animals we do have uh, discipliners we do have um, gentle kachinas that come to nourish the land and the people we do have clown kachinas that come uh, entertain but they they all come from you know who knows where uh, the Kachina Society was brought to Hopi from we do not know where. The societies that we are initiated into, we hold uh, various um, titles. Some I cannot explain here, but um, mm -hmm. there are various titles that um, you're taught a specific way of not only the life that you have to live because you're a title holder to this specific society you are um i guess more or less not pushed into learning but i mean sooner or later we're gonna have to learn our way of life and mm -hmm. that is how where our traditional ways are handed down from generation to generation is that when we get to a certain point in our stages of life, we do go through various ceremonies and lot, lots of teachings that um, I know myself as me being a new father, <laughs> yeah. uh, I will have to be teaching my son the roles and uh, duties as to being, you know, a Hopi man. And by me saying Hopi man, you know, there's not much a Hopi man owns as to 
uh, a lot of what the man owns goes to the woman. As far as, you know, teaching my son the roles of planting when he takes his his nut when we call it nut when it's a meaning of uh, various fruits or various crop that you um, you grow it's uh, called nut when but when he takes that home to his mom or his future girlfriend i hope he doesn't have one soon <laughs> but um, that corn his crop he takes in the door does not no longer belongs to him belongs to the woman mm. and that's a strong teaching um that is also was handed down from my father when I was a young boy. You know, um, I lost uh, my father at a very important time of my life. You know, um, I learned, I mean, I wish I learned more uh, as my dad was a, he was a part of the Sun Forehead clan. They're uh, our warriors. They're, uh, they're the first to go more like, um, I guess you could reference them to uh, Spartans. um they're the warriors and they have their own society um as well um they're the guards he was taught his his way of life and his duty as far as being uh born for that clan and um and like i had mentioned earlier i am a member of the tobacco clan and i take care of all the tobacco uh products in the kiva um the kivas are uh, where we hold a, a lot of our ceremonial um, ceremonies. Um, as far as uh, mentioning the kiva, that is where a lot of our teachings are done. Um, they also, the men are the weavers. Um, that's another society that um, that we have to learn, you know, uh, going through uh, a ceremony, a wedding ceremony is actually where it consists of a man learning to weave, mm. weave clothing for his family. And um, that is also handed down from generation to generation. Being a, a weaver, uh, the weaving was actually introduced to us by the spider grandmother, spider woman. She's the one who taught the Hopi how to weave as she um, spun her web, made clothing for to clothe the people um, back in the days when they were still wearing the, the raw hides. <laughs> <laughs> but um, there are there are a lot of teachings to um, Hopi and um, as far as being a member of the Hopi tribe, nobody will never know everything. <laughs> yeah. 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 But it, it's just, it's really, it's beautiful how you all uh, have, have taken this tradition uh, that is, very old and have kept it alive and have passed it from generation to generation and, and kept it alive in in such a pure way. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's amazing. I was super inspired by the time that we got to spend with you. I'm so grateful that you guys came and did the dance for us and were able to share with us so much of this culture. And I'm just thankful that we were able to share some of this with our listeners here on this podcast. Drew, um, I ask everybody that comes on this podcast a question about Hollywood because someday Hollywood's going to find out about you and the blue cloud dance crew. And, and, you know, they might just want to make a movie about you. And mm-hmm. so I want to know when they do, who's going to be the Hollywood actor that's going to play you in your movie. Oh, the Hollywood actor. Yeah. My most um, famous actor, I'm um, pretty sure none of y'all, you might have heard of him. Uh, he's a funny guy. Uh, he's actually, uh, he's a really, um, actually, I'm inspired by him. Uh, he goes by the name of Tatanka Means. Tatanka Means. Yes, he's okay. a really funny individual. But um, okay, he's I love a it. very educated young man. Um, he's funny, but I'm pretty sure he would be my type of guy. All right. I love that. Yeah. Yep. When, when they make this movie, what's it going to be called? Shoot. I'm always with the clouds. So I got to go with land of the clouds, land of the clouds. I love that. That's beautiful. <laughs> this is great. Well, um, Drew, thank you so much for the time today. And I'm curious if, if people want to learn more about Hopi culture, what, what's the best way for them to do that? 
Oh, best way to um, learn about Hopi culture is to come visit Hopi land. I, I agree. There's nothing like visiting in person. <laughs> yeah, there's so much. There's so much to, um, you know, being a, there's so much just to, you know, learn about uh, being on Hopi. And the thing is that uh, everybody's willing to, you know, take care of you. Everybody's willing to, you know, educate you on Hopi. There are websites. Um, I also introduced a book to Scott and his um, group of friends there. It is, uh, the title is called A History Becoming Hopi. Mm -hmm. This book is uh, fairly new. It was um, um, produced last year in 2002. Um, they barely are showcasing this book right now, but um, I am one of the lucky owners of one of the first copies. This book has a lot of educational knowledge that uh, you can reference to as far as um, the uh, beginning of Hopi, um, where clans, you know, migrated from as far as them doing studies on uh, ruins. Um, as we don't really support the, the study of the ruins is because, you know, we want to respect the the place that, you know, the ancestors had lived and we don't want to interrupt, you know, maybe they left that ruin for a specific reason. But um, this book also has various um, pottery, um, educational knowledge on um, clay pots, ceramic pots that were uh, used around uh, native land and by various people. Uh, there's also a lot of educational knowledge on where land land uh, masses were also water aquifers um, there's just so much into this book uh, yeah. and i highly recommend uh, if you want to be educated in hopi i highly re recommend finding yeah. this book the title can you repeat the title again okay the title is called a history becoming hopi a history becoming hopi well, Drew, um, first of all, I want to thank you for your part in keeping the Hopi culture alive. Um, and I also want to thank you for helping educate me, my group, and now my listeners. Uh, it's really, it's really been fantastic. And for those listening, I hope you've been inspired today as much as I have. I hope Drew's story has encouraged you to listen to that voice inside that calls you to adventure, because we want to hear your story next. If you have a story to tell or you just need a nudge to create one, please send me an email. We'd also appreciate it if you'd help us spread the word by leaving a review and sharing or tagging Inspire Campfire in your social media. And until next time, I want to encourage you to get outside. Thank you for listening. Drew, thank you so much for being here today. <laughs> You're welcome.